0: You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So it's Pentecost, worshipers of Yahweh have traveled miles and miles and miles, it's 50 days after Passover, they expect God to do something. They always do on Pentecost, they expect to celebrate and to remember and the disciples of Jesus, they, they, they know Jesus is risen. They, they spent time with him. They were taught by him for 40 days. And so 10 days have passed, and Jesus has ascended as Lord. 10 days ago, they were being taught by the resurrected king. They're waiting in the upper room, and all of a sudden, the text tells us in Acts 2 that it fills with fire and smoke. It says a violent wind. A violent wind. And it comes and it blows through, and all of a sudden they they start speaking in languages they didn't study. They, they, none of them had, had taken a Rosetta Stone class, you know. Like they they didn't study Medo Persian. They didn't they didn't know. And all of a sudden, these these Galileans, these are some of them just fishermen, start speaking this this language. And they and they speak this language, these many different languages, and people start hearing these languages as these disciples are gathered on Mount Zion speaking these languages. And the text tells us that Jews who were living from every nation under heaven had come and they heard the sound. They heard the sound, they heard the they heard the violent wind and the shaking, and they heard the different languages and The text tells us that it was the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God had come and the Spirit of God had taught Galileans how to speak languages they had never studied. And the onlookers just thought they had been drinking. Because that's how the Spirit works. See, when the Spirit does things that we don't expect, or when He does things that we don't think is... Theologically possible, because we know our Bibles. And when he does something we don't think is um, intellectually possible, because, you know, we have more degrees than a thermometer. We attribute it to something other than the Spirit. If there's anything we should learn in Pentecost, is that the Spirit isn't really too concerned with our categories he's not concerned with our uh, belief in the situation. He doesn't wait to do what he's going to do when we're ready for it, right? Like, he doesn't work that way. Oh, I think Fred is ready, so now I'm going to manifest myself in his life or through his life, and we will have a tendency to explain it away, even if it means like this, that we'll say, well, these guys must be drinking. So Peter, you know, Peter, Peter's the, 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 the bold one, the courageous one. Peter's the guy who decides, you know, look, look, he's like, I can imagine he stands up and he goes like, guys, I got this. I got, let, let, me, let me tell them what's going on. So he stands up in verse 14, because, you know, in verse 13, they said they're filled with new wine. Peter stands up and he says, men of Judah, women were there too, but, you know, it's a patriarchal world. Men of Judah and all you residents of Jerusalem, if you read the text, all you from Perthia, you know the Medes, the Elamites, the Cappadocians, the Judeans, the Pontus, the people from Asia and Vigeria and Pamphylia, all of you from Europe and all of you from the east, and all of you who live here, let me explain to you and pay attention to my words. Verse 15, these people are not drunk. I mean, it's only 9 a.m. A I mean, happy hour hadn't hit yet. On the contrary, what you're seeing today was promised by God through the prophet named Joel. Uh, Translation, if you knew your Bibles, if you knew your Bibles, if you knew your Bibles and this God that you just traveled miles and miles and miles to celebrate and worship, you'd know. You'd know God gave you a heads up And so Peter says, so I'm going to do some biblical interpretation for you all. And he quotes Joel, where Joel says, and it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Everybody say all, all All. and say humanity. humanity, humanity, all humanity. So all in the Greek means all and all in the Hebrew means all, all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days. And they will prophesy. See, what, what Joel is doing is he is busting up all of their social categories. When he says, in a world that is patriarchal, where man ruled the day, I'm going to let my daughters prophesy too. Oh, 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 no. And in a day where it values older men and older men primarily, I'm going to let my young men speak too. And in a day where the young men want to get holier than thou and a bit pretentious, I'm going to make sure my older men are still doing stuff too. Which, by the way, because the sons and daughters are doing it, that includes the older women and the young women too. And, as if that's not enough, in a day where you like to have your socioeconomic categories of rich and poor and homeless and housed, and from here and come here, slave and free, I'm going to let them all, I'm going to let them all prophesy. Because when the Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people, everything changes. Everything. Everything. And he didn't ask for permission. Because he's God. See, the thing we need to know about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit isn't a force. He's not something from Star Wars. He's not something where God's people can do this thing. Enforce choke people, even though I know that some of us would like to at times. (laughs) I know, right? I'd be preaching all of a sudden. Who is? Who is it? That's not funny. Um, And the Holy Spirit's not not electricity. He's not like. Listen, the Holy Spirit's not an it. Say the Holy Spirit's not an it. The Holy Spirit is a He. He is the third person of the Trinity of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And God the Father who sent God the Son, God the Son then told his disciples he was going to send God the Spirit. And God the Spirit was going to be a paracletio. He was going to be an advocate or a comforter. He was going to be an advocate in a world of accusation. He was going to be a comforter in a world of chaos. That's the Holy Spirit. See, Satan is, in the Greek, if you don't know this, his name literally means accuser. Did you know that? His name means accuser. That's why when Peter was thinking he was helpful with Jesus, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't saying, Peter, you're literally Satan. Satan is the accuser. But you know, the Holy Spirit, by definition and by Greek name, is the advocate. So in a world where Satan tries to accuse, the Holy Spirit's trying to advocate. You know, I have decided I should have worn sweatpants today because I'm going to bend down so much today, I'm going to bust out of my britches. <laughs> I put on some weight. The Holy Spirit is the advocate. And he is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a he. Say he's a he. But if you want to be technical, and I'd love to study this with any of you, the Holy Spirit's really a she. Yeah. In the Hebrew language, it's a feminine language. It's a feminine word. It's gender feminine not gender neutral. It's gender feminine, not gender, gender masculine. Maybe that's why the Holy Spirit, the she of the Trinity, is the comforter, the advocate. The Holy Spirit of God is not an it. The Holy Spirit of God is a person. Because the Holy Spirit of God has a will, the Bible teaches us. And if the Holy Spirit of God has a will, then the Holy Spirit can't be an it. Because its don't have wills. The Holy Spirit has a desire, and if the Holy Spirit has a desire, the Holy Spirit has to be a person because the Holy Spirit, because its can't have desires. The Holy Spirit has the power to impart gifts and the Holy Spirit has to be a person because only a person can impart gifts. And so God pours out the Holy Spirit. God pours out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And disrupts everything that the people there were in attendance expected God to do. And so if you learn something new today already, just remember that these Yahweh-worshipping Jews knew their Bibles too, and they learned something new that day. They learned something new when the Holy Spirit made His presence, known among them. When God came down, but in a different way today. And the church was born, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and cloud of smoke. Here's the poet, the poet, the poet, the poet prophet Joel wants to give poetry so that we can see the possibility. Because poetry opens our world and our imaginations to new possibilities. So lest we start looking for blood red moons when they actually happen, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's coming again. He's already come. Put Pastor John Hagee away. The Holy Spirit has come. And I will display wonders in the heavens and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and remarkable day of the Lord comes. And then everyone, say everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, calls on the name of the Lord is more than saying Jesus is Lord, it's actually living like it. That's what the language calls on the name of the Lord means. It means demonstrates and proclaims it. Calls on the name of the Lord will be, say it with me, saved. And so Peter decides to go on he says, men of Israel, listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, you know the Nazarene, I love how Peter locates Jesus in Nazareth because Peter knows that everybody in attendance thinks what they used to think when they met Jesus and that nothing good comes from Nazareth, you remember that? So just Jesus the Nazarene, you know, from this place where you think nothing good comes from, Jesus the Nazarene. Was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know? Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people. Lawless is sinful. Lawless people to nail him to a cross and say it with me, kill him. Say, kill him. He was killed. See, we don't talk about crucifixion that way, but the reality of it is violence killed Jesus. That's why Jesus never killed. So Jesus chose to die for his enemies rather than to kill them, even the ones who killed him. That's why Peter uses the language killed. You killed him. Don't romanticize this and say, well, God just willingly gave Himself up to die. He did, but we killed Him. It was crucifixion. And He was crucified because He was called a blasphemer. He was crucified because He was called a criminal. He died a criminal's death on the cross. We killed Him. That's gospel. But it's not good news. Not yet. And Peter knows that. And he says, you killed him. But God raised him up. Peter doesn't let us live there. He says, God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Because even your worst violence couldn't keep him dead. God doesn't stay dead. It doesn't matter what Time Magazine said a long time ago. God's never been dead. And he says for David, King David, David says, David, one of our greatest kings in history, he says, David says, I saw the Lord ever before me because he was at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope. Say hope. Say my flesh will rest in hope. Flesh will rest in hope. Rest. Because you will not leave me in hell or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Say presence. 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 Brothers, I can speak confidently to you about the patriarch David. He's both death and dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, we don't often think of David as a prophet. do we? Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing this in advance, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the king, Messiah, king, king in Hebrew, king. He spoke resurrection of the king. Notice he didn't say savior because Peter probably knew that everybody would want a savior but not a lord. So he's not going to let us off the hook. He's talking about a lord. The resurrection of the king. And he quotes him. He was not left in Hades and his flesh did not experience decay. And at this point, this Bible study that Peter's leading all these bible knowing jews on are probably having some aha moments they're looking at this text even though they've read it even memorized it and saying i never knew that about the text i didn't know that's what god was saying well because see that's what the holy spirit does the holy spirit illuminates the scriptures The Holy Spirit illuminates the Scriptures in a way that's far different than maybe we've ever read before. And we only read the Scriptures fully when the Holy Spirit is illuminating the Scriptures. If I don't allow the Holy Spirit to work in me, I will not understand the Bible. I can win a Bible bowl, but I can't live it because the Holy Spirit isn't there to illuminate it. And by the way, I'm quoting Paul If you're wondering, when he says that only those filled with the Spirit can confess Jesus as Lord and understand the things of God, Corinthians. So Peter, through the Spirit, is illuminating the text. And he says, God, verse 32, has resurrected this Jesus, and we're all witnesses of this. We know we were with him just 10 days ago. (laughs) We were with him 10 days ago for 40 days. Therefore, since he's been exalted to the right hand of God, since he's now Lord and King and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured on what you both hear and see today. That's what you see. Since he has now risen Lord and he reigns, he did what he said he would do in John 14. He sent the Holy Spirit. And that, y'all, that's not in the Greek, is what you see today. We're not drunk, man. We didn't learn a new language in the last 10 days. That's the Holy Spirit at work. He's alive and well. And he's exactly what God promised. And he, God does exactly what he promises, because he always has. He promised it a long time ago, and he fulfilled his promise. The problem is, God doesn't always do what he promised like this. Sometimes it takes him a while. But he always does what he promises And he says, for it was not David. Was it not David? David spoke this, he says, for it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. See, so David preached the gospel long before the gospel ever happened. Do you ever know that? David talked about the crucified, risen, and exalted, reigning Lord before anybody ever really did. And Peter's helping them understand that that's all David was doing a long time ago, and he was doing it through the Spirit. And so now the Spirit is letting us know what the Spirit was saying through David a long time ago, because that's what the Spirit does. That's why we're always growing. That's why we're always learning new things. If you're learning new things about the Scriptures, that's good news, because the Spirit's at work in you. If you learn something new today about the Scriptures, that's good news, as long as you know, you're learning the truth, because the Spirit is at work in you. If you never grow, and you you believe the same things for 40 years, you might want to pause and slow your roll just a bit. Because the Spirit's always revealing something new in the Scriptures, through the Scriptures. He's not going to lead us astray from the Scriptures. But He's going to illuminate our lives through the Scriptures. And our eyes are going to open to the work of God in the world. And it's going to bear witness to Jesus. Because ultimately what David is telling us is that all of the Scriptures have always been about Jesus. All of the Scriptures from start to finish is about one person and one person only, and that is Jesus. Jesus said this in John 5. You, you read the Scriptures trying to find life in the Scriptures, but they testify of me. Paul would say later that the Scriptures, with living by the letter alone, the letter gives death, but the Spirit of God gives what? Life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That's Corinthians, verse 3. And Peter's just trying to help us see that that's what God is up to today, that the Spirit of God is alive and well in His people, if His people will awaken to the Spirit of God's presence. And so he says, once he quotes David, he says, So I, therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty, say certainty, That God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and King. Not Lord and Savior. Not Savior and Lord. Not personal Savior. But Lord and what? King. Messiah. Messiah is the word for King. The King. He's made Him Lord and King. And that changes everything for me because I need a king who is faithful and I need to be a citizen of a kingdom that's never going to be in trouble because it seems like all the other kingdoms of the world are. And so when they heard this, what's the text say? They grew under deep conviction and they said, what do we do? Listen to him. What do we do, Peter? Like we killed the king. You've told like we're convinced. Like we see this, that you didn't, you know, study Rosetta Stone. We we hear the Galilean fishermen speaking uh, Egyptian, and we heard your sermon. We've never read the text that way, and and the spirits at work in us. What do we do? We killed, we killed the Messiah. We killed the Lord, and now He's risen. He's risen, and He's exalted. He wouldn't stay dead, but we killed Him. But He rose up from the dead. Is God going to smite us? They're thinking that because that's how they would read the text. Is God going to punish us? What do we do? And Peter looks at them and said, God's not angry at you. Listen to me, church, Christian. God's not angry at you. He's not angry at you. He's not angry at you. God does not get angry at you. He loves you. Yeah, if, if they would have had their Old Testament theology, they might to add bad Old Testament theology, yeah, they would have had everything to fear. God would have s- struck them down because he had been known to do that in times past. That's why they're panicking with a "What do we do?" They didn't ask, "What do we do to be saved?" They said, "What do we do? We killed the Lord. He's risen. Now he's the king. What do we do?" And Peter says, "Well, you need to turn around. You need to turn to the kingdom. You need to stop being king of your own castle. You need to stop thinking that you can figure out your life. You need to stop playing to the, according to the rules of the old, old, old age that is passing away. You need to repent. That's what he says. He says, you need to repent and you need to be baptized. You need to go through the naturalization ceremony into the kingdom of God. That's what baptism is. It's not an option. It's not something to do next week. Not in the scriptures. Otherwise, Peter would have said it. You need to go through the naturalization ceremony of a citizen of the kingdom of God, and you need to live like it. And you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And your sins are forgiven. For the promise is for you and your children. And all those who are going to sit in Williamsburg Christian Church building in 2017. And all those who will go on and on. The promises for you and your children and all who are far off. And then Peter, with many other words, testified and preached for 52 more minutes. At least that's what I would like to imagine him doing. Because Garrett only preached 29 last week, and I'm not going to hit that. And he urged them, and he said, be saved from this corrupt generation. And he doesn't mean your generation. When he says generation, he means the reign of sin and death. He means the age, the old age. Be saved from playing according to the rules of this age, man. Be saved. Be rescued. Stop. Be rescued. And then the text says that 3,000 heard the message and were baptized. 3,000, that was a long baptism ceremony. So I want you to catch the scene. There on Mount Zion, the new Moses, that is Jesus, has come and has set people free, and God has given a new law, a law through the Spirit that now gives life and 3,000 are saved. Does that sound familiar to you? See, because if it doesn't, what happened many, 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 many years ago on Mount Sinai stood Moses, who was filled with fire and smoke too. Remember that? But the Israelites thought he was burned up. So they decided to build a golden calf and make an idol, and they decided to worship an idol, and God's people will often go to violence, and so they did. So the Levites grabbed a sword and cut him up, and that day 3,000 people died. And Paul refers to that in Corinthians. He says, see, the letter, the letter of the law, because that was what Moses was getting, the letter of the law kills, but the spirit of the law gives life. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved to undo what happened when the day the law was given where 3,000 were killed. Through the new Moses and the new law, given through the Spirit of God, written on the hearts of men and women, not tablets of stone. That's the imagery of the text. That's what the Spirit is up to. See, the Spirit is up to this because the Spirit is up to giving us power. The Spirit is calling in this text. He is calling the people. He is calling everyone. He's calling everyone to repentance. He's calling for repentance to every heart. He's calling for the baptism of everyone who believes. He's calling all to receive forgiveness and empowered new life. He's calling for the transformation of every life. You can't confess Jesus as Lord and live as though He's not. You can't do it. I can't do that. In a... Where everything's fluid culture, I can't do that. Peter would say, be saved from that. Your identity gets all twisted up in feelings. You're not your feelings. You're not your performance. You're not your behavior. Not if you're a child of God. The Holy Spirit is calling for the surrender of every life to the kingship of Jesus' as Lord. And the Holy Spirit is not interested in playing according to our own rules. The Holy Spirit doesn't care about our social categories and what our theology says if our theology is wrong. The Holy Spirit doesn't care about what I've always believed if I'm wrong. He loves me too much to let me live wrong. And the Holy Spirit doesn't want me to feel as though I'm a nobody when God has said, brother, you are somebody. The Holy Spirit doesn't want me thinking God is angry with me when the Holy Spirit is saying God loves you and he's given you life. See, anytime you read the book of Acts and you find out that the people of God are boldly living into everything we've been saying this morning, you find that the scriptures always give the Holy Spirit the credit. You ever notice that? When the church starts living bold, it says filled with the Holy Spirit. You ever notice that for those who, who've read Acts? You see that happening. So one time, see, what had happened was one time Peter and John had found themselves arrested by their political leaders called the Sanhedrin, and they were taken to a literal court by political leaders and judges and lawyers. And they stood before the courts in Acts chapter 4 after they had healed a guy by the power of the Spirit. And they were told by the political leaders to stop it. Stop confessing that Jesus is Lord. He's not Lord. Caesar is Lord. And he's not Messiah. Our Messiah hasn't come. Stop it. And Peter and John says, Yeah, um, we can't. And we're not. They actually say, You decide what you want to decide, but we're going to obey God rather than men. Well, they go on doing their thing after, of course, they get arrested. And then the Holy Spirit, through the angels, sets Peter free. And the church begins to pray prayers of boldness. And the Scripture tells us in the end of Acts 4 that the Holy Spirit fills the groom of the, of, the, of the Christians. And they start performing great signs and wonders. And then they go out and do their thing again. And now Peter finds himself in the same pickle. He's standing before the Sanhedrin, the court, the political leaders. And they say to him, didn't we tell you to stop it? Acts chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, and Peter says to them, no, you did, but we're going to obey God because of what we have seen. Jesus is Lord. That's what they say, 30 through 31, and then they say this. We're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given, read this with me, to those who obey him. See, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is given to those who obey them. What does he mean? Well, he is saying this, those who obey God are demonstrating the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Those who disobey God are not living according to the Spirit. That's what what that means. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. He said other things like that. He said that about three times. People who demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit are people who are filled with the Spirit. Otherwise, you can't produce the fruit of the Spirit. But you can choose, and that's what this comes down to, church. It comes down to choosing a Spirit-filled life. When you want to choose hate, you've got to choose love. And then the Holy Spirit who lives in you produces. The fruit of the Spirit is, say it with me, love. But you got to choose it. you got to choose it. And then the Holy Spirit gives you the power to do it. Because I can't do it. I would force choke somebody. But The Holy Spirit says, no force choking, hug. Especially Sherry, hug. <laughs> Group hug on Sherry later. So, and when we, when we find ourselves sad and despondent, be sad and despondent. But if you can, pray and be in the scriptures and choose joy. Joy means satisfaction, not feel good, warm, and fuzzies, happiness. So be satisfied in your sadness. It is what it is. And then the Holy Spirit produces, for the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. And if the world is in chaos, because God knows it is from London to Williamsburg and everywhere in between, instead of reacting with chaos to give more chaos, to chaos choose peace. And the Holy Spirit will produce for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. My God, may I choose this. See, because here is the mind-blowing fact of the whole deal. In your Bibles, in Genesis chapter 1, in the second verse of the Holy Scriptures of God, we are introduced to the Holy Spirit. Now, 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 sit with this for a minute. In the words of my son when he was little, let's sit a minute. (laughs) Sit a minute with the profundity of this text, how profound this is. So, the world was, the earth was formless, chaotic, and empty. Okay, that's pretty bad. Formless, chaotic, and empty. Your life may feel formless, chaotic, or empty, but that's not nearly as chaotic and empty and formless as the world once was. I mean, I think we could all agree with that. And there was the Holy Spirit of God hovering. Another word is a present among the watery depths. He's there. He's in the midst of the formlessness. He's in the midst of the chaos. He's in the midst of the emptiness. And God says, let there be light. And the Holy Spirit says, okay. And light scatters the darkness. And what was formless has form. And what was chaotic now has peace. And what was broken has beauty. What were ashes is now a crown of glory. That's what the spirit does now check it. Let's sit a minute. the Holy Spirit of God who did that is the same Holy Spirit of God who lives in you in me. does that not blow your mind? Like is that not the is that not good news like, like how are y'all still not charismatic like, how, like how, is this, how is how are you not this is good news? That that Holy Spirit of God, because Christ is Lord, now lives in people who've confessed that Jesus is Lord, that Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, man, when my anxiety disorder is crazy, when my intrusive thoughts disorder is crazy, when my Tourette's is going crazy and my hand's all shaking and I can't control what my body's doing, I know that I know that I know that the Holy Spirit of God who covered over the surface of the waters when the earth was formless and chaotic and empty is the one who lives in me and he can stop a shaking hand. Sometimes it takes a minute. Because I'm not going to choose the accuser. I'm going to choose the advocate. Because who's the accuser? Satan. Who's the advocate? The Holy Spirit. The accuser's telling me that my mental illness owns me. The advocate's telling me I can redeem that. The accuser's telling me that I'm not good enough. The advocate tells me that God loves me just as I am, not as I should be. The accuser's telling me to lash out at him. Get him back before he gets you. And the advocate's telling me, hey, I love him too. The accuser's telling me I have everything to fear. Because of Portland, and London, and Egypt. And the Holy Spirit's telling me, you have nothing to fear. So, true story, no preacher exaggeration. I was home one day. It was me and Ian, and Ian was playing basketball inside. We have an inside goal that he plays for like 23 hours of 24-hour day. That is a preacher exaggeration. He was playing. I was flipping through the channels, kind of taking a break, kind of enjoying watching my son and just kind of flipping through the channels mindlessly, which I have a tendency to do. And I flipped through, and I saw an aircraft carrying a missile, so I stopped. And I paused on the channel of the aircraft carrier and the missile. And it was telling me how North Korea was practicing all those missile launches, trying to have missiles that reach nuclear warheads to the shores of our country. And Ian heard this, and he said, Daddy, does North Korea want to blow us up? And I said, yeah. I said, we, 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 we blow people up too. It's how the world works. And everybody thinks they're justified. He said, why do they want to blow us up? I so, said, I don't know. I said, but you know what happens if they blow us up? He said, We go be with Jesus? I said, Yeah. I said, We blow up, we wake up, there's Jesus. He said, So it's like this. No joke, this is what Sunday. He goes, <laughs> 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 he, he did that. He, he I was like, You're getting that from Teen Titans because I don't teach heaven that way. And you know what he did? He started playing basketball. So then like two weeks later, the tornadoes start coming. Remember those? Now, that was having its way with my boy. My kid's a strong-minded kid, but I think sometimes he might have kind of the wiring that my brain has. And he starts getting worried about the tornadoes. And he still gets worried about tornadoes, make no mistake. But I said, but buddy, you know, and Allison, is always like, she's always the wise one. She's so calm. And she's like, honey, daddy and I have a plan. We know what we're going to do. I'm like, Lord, I'm You no, know, always the favorite one. <laughs> I'm like, always an object lesson, right? So I'm like, okay, we, that's true, buddy, but if the tornado comes and blows us away, yeah, that, I'm that guy. Allison's like, no, calm down. We have a plan. I'm like, but if we die. <laughs> And uh, I'm like, so if we get blown away, I said, do you know what happens? He says, yes, we go be with Jesus. And I said, exactly, buddy. Now, we've got a plan. But if, worst case scenario, it comes and we get blown away, we wake up with Jesus. And he said, so it's like, (laughs) uh, oh, I said, yes. No, I can't. Because that was a bit, like, operatic what I did, wasn't it? The thing is, is I'm trying to push back against what the world is telling my boy because he's a Christian. And it's my job. But it's my job to model it too, and I've got to be wise. And the only way that I can do that as his daddy is to trust the Holy Spirit of God who tells me in Romans chapter 8, lest you think I'm just explaining things away. Jesus said, fear not the one who can kill the body, but the one who can kill the, the soul, the spirit. Because he who believes in me will never die. And so the Holy Spirit, Paul, Paul says, so men, brothers, you're not obligated to live according to the flesh. Listen, Fred, you're not obligated to be fearful. Missiles come and tornadoes happen, but you're not obligated to fear them. Oh, come on. Can I get an amen? You're not obligated to fear them. They're scary. You're not obligated to fear them. You're seduced to fear them. You're tempted to fear them. You're not obligated to fear them. You're not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, to live according to the rules of the age of sin and death that is passing away. That's not your obligation. Because if you live that way, you're going to die. You're going to die a slow death of a thousand cuts because of fear. And Fred, your anxiety is going to go crazy. And you're going to be scared to leave your house. And you're going to be scared to fly to Kenya. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you'll live. And all those led by God's Holy Spirit are God's, say it with me, sons and daughters. For you did not receive a spirit of to fall back into but you received the Spirit of, by whom we cry out, Daddy Father. By whom we cry out, Daddy Father. You've been adopted, man. You've been adopted, sister. The Spirit of God is evidence. The evidence of the Spirit of God being in you is your obedience. The evidence of the Spirit of God being in you is your obedience and your choice, to trust, and your reliance upon the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit said He would do, and that is give you power. So I realize that the world may tell you something else, but the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you something different today. The Holy Spirit is the beautiful Spirit of God in which you do not have to fear because God is in you say God in me, say Christ in me, say the Holy Spirit in me. So here's what would make me happy is if the W.Y. Daily posted in one of their articles about a bunch of people walking around town mumbling to themselves, God in me, Christ in me, the Spirit in me, saying that there's some crazy people going around mumbling this everywhere they go. I would be so happy and I would share it on Facebook and say, this is my family. Eastern State Erie. I would say, this is my family, because we need to preach to ourselves in this world. You need to preach to yourself, God in me, Christ in me, Holy Spirit in me. You need to preach that to yourself in a world wrecked with fear, and you need to preach that to yourself in a world seducing you to be obligated to the flesh and know that the same Holy Spirit who hovered over the waters of the deep and gave form to formlessness, peace to chaos, And beauty to brokenness is the same Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. And let your kids see it if you have kids. And know, and know that God is with you.